We are glad you're here. Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to get started with us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. Now, I know, uh, I know it's maybe um, difficult to do this sometimes, but I want, to, I, want to, I want to divide the world into two categories. And if you were to divide the world into two categories, what would those categories be to you? What would they be? For example, um, I would say in, in, in one way, you could divide the world into two categories. The world loves to divide people into two categories. Uh, some would say, okay, you've got people that are Democrat or you've got those who are Republican. And that would be fun to talk about in church. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be good. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Uh, some would divide the world into, um, ba- based on uh, where they live. You know, those who are national, part of my country, and, and foreigner. There are ways to divide the world. Uh, some would divide the world into two categories. They would say those who, those who understand that Reese's peanut butter cups are the best candy. <laughs> well, very, do you really agree or are you just excited today? Okay, praise God. This is, I agree. And then there are people who don't know what good candy is really all about. They like other things. Now look, there, is, there are two categories that we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to divide the world into these two categories, but I'm not the one who's going to be doing the division. I'm going to allow God to be the one who does this in the gospel, specifically in the book of Ephesians. We're going to talk about you, and we want you to see yourself in one of two categories, and we want you to visualize yourself in one of these two places. The first is um, what we call the family of Adam, and the second is what we call the family of Christ. Now, to understand the phrase in Christ is very important as you study the book of Ephesians. And the reason is, is when Paul, the apostle, writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, he uses the phrase in Christ many, many times. No, really, I mean, as you study throughout this entire book, you're going to notice the phrase in Christ is used over and did you know Anybody here a follower of Christ? If you're a follower of Christ, say amen. Amen. All right. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you often call yourself Christian, which is fine. It's a good use. It's It's a biblical word, the word Christian. But did you know the word Christian is only used three times in all of the Bible? But the phrase in Christ is used 75 times to describe followers of Jesus Christ. So really, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know what it means to be in Christ versus in Adam. Last week as we began, I told you that the world is really divided up into these two ways in that you and I are born in Adam's family. Um, That is if you're a human here today. Any non-humans in the room? Because we do have folks that work at Area 51 and they need to collect you. Okay. All right. Now look, if you are in a, if you are a human, you are in the family of Adam, theologically speaking. You are born, uh, C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, said it this way, you are a daughter of Eve and you are a son of Adam. You are in Adam's family, all right? Now, not, all right, not Adam's family, right? Not, Not that, all right? You're in the family of Adam, okay. Now, over here, there's another family called the family of Christ or in Christ. Now, today is very important because I want, you to, I want to say this as we begin. Today's sermon is deeply theological. 
the doctrine that we're going to be studying might be a little bit uh, intimidating to some of you, but trust me, it's okay, you're with me, and I'm going to guide you through this. I, my job is to make very, uh, very difficult concepts as simple as possible, and that's easy for me because I'm a very simple person. And so to understand the concept of the family of Adam and the family of Christ is, is deeply important. You remember last week I said it's important for you to understand as a Christian that you've been adopted. Okay, if you have been adopted, from where were you adopted? That is, you were in Adam's family. And now you are in Christ's family. You were once in the family of the world, and now you were in the family of God. Now that you're in the family of God, you have to understand that you see things differently. And now that you're over here, you're going to look over there, and you've awakened to some realities that the world doesn't know about you realize that much of what you were told over here was a lie. And much of what you valued over here was much of a, a lie. And much of what you saw as important over there was a lie. And now that you're in Christ, there are two types of folks in Christ. There are those who understand the riches they have in Christ, and there are those who still look over at the family of Adam and still value what they have rather than see the riches in their own family. So today, that's what the sermon is all about. Today, the sermon is entitled, Crazy Rich Christians. Now, as we talk about crazy rich Christians, you have to understand this concept. The riches we have in Christ are not the same riches they have in Adam. The riches we have in Christ are far superior to what they value over here. In the family of Adam, what do they value? In the family of Adam, they value, um, what do they value? Money. money, money, they value money. This is a good thing. Uh, they value, that, that's true, they value money. To them, if you have lots and lots of green paper that's backed by businesses and governments that will fail, if you have lots of this green paper, you're rich. You say, not me, pastor, I don't believe in green paper. I believe in minerals that are very shiny. And the shinier the mineral, the more valuable I, ha I am, right? And so this is the way they think. They think this way. You are more important the more minerals and paper you have. And back in the day, it was the more sheep you had, or the more goats you had, or the more land you had. You are more valuable. And that's the way they think in this world. They value money. They value fame. If you are known by more people, the more people you know, and the more people that know you, uh, you're more important. And then they become very famous, and then they're like, oh man, I need anonymity again. And so they value things that we don't value. I know they, they value money, and they value fame, they value power. Everything's about power. The more money you get and the more fame you get, you realize I can trade some of these things and I can get power. And power is to control other people. I don't just want to be in control of my life. I'm going to be in control of other people's lives. And so in the family of Adam, these are the things that are important to them. These are the things that they value. Money, power. What was the other one we said? Fame. These are the things they value. We don't value the same things because we've been adopted into a new family. That home over there, it's a wreck. That home over there, it's falling apart. That home over there is, is, is a mess. We're in a new home with a new father and a new family. And the riches we have are huge. The main proposition of today's sermon is this. Those in Christ are extremely wealthy. 
those in Adam are destitute. And they don't even know it. What do you value? What is it that you see as valuable? Paul wants us to see in four, uh, excuse me, in verses 7 through 11, four very important things that we value above all as Christians. These are not the only riches you have in Christ, but they are four riches he wants to point out in this passage. Four things that you have an innumerable amount of, and they are more valuable than anything you can find in the family of Adam. Here's the first one. Number one, forgiveness. Say it back to me. Forgiveness. Say it again. Say it again. Forgiveness. Say it again one more time. Forgiveness. You say, what is so valuable about forgiveness, Pastor? The answer to that question is very, very important to your worldview. Look at what it says in chapter 1 and verse number 7 as we pick up in our verse-by-verse study. It says, in him, in who? In who? Christ. I'm going to say in who and you say Christ. In him, in who? In Christ, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There's that word riches. Crazy, rich Christians. What are we rich with? We're rich with forgiveness. Redemption means to purchase. Specifically means that it means to buy back. It, It means that you, as a man or a woman, were in the family of Adam. And the father of Adam is God. And you were all once God's family. But Adam sinned, and when he sinned, he, he sold us out. And you, the children of Adam, you, the children of Eve, now are now uh, 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 sentenced to sin and to death and to slavery. But the Bible says God bought us back. Those of us who were once his by creation are now his again because he purchased us. With what did he purchase you? The passage says, what did he purchase you with? Did he purchase you with gold and with silver? No, he purchased you with his own blood. The most valuable substance that the world has ever known is the blood that runs in our veins. It's life. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ, God himself, became a man, and he shed his own life, his own blood, to buy you back according to his mercy, according to his riches. How did he do this? Once he died upon the cross to pay for your sins, the Bible says he forgave your sins. How much forgiveness do you have? According to the riches of his grace. That is, you have more forgiveness than you'll ever be able to use. You have more forgiveness, listen, than you'll ever be able to use. How many of you would like to have more money in your bank account than you could ever use? You say, I know I'm not in the family of Adam, but you know, like, like you know, you know, it kind of helps. Okay, let's say it this way. What if you're sitting there in your, in your seat, and all of a sudden your phone buzzes, right? And, and you don't want to look down because you know you're in church and it's a sin or something, maybe, I don't know. And, and you're like, I can't look at the phone. I don't want to look at the phone because it just buzzed. And I know I get a notification, but then it buzzes again. And you're like, oh, man, I need that dopamine rush. And so you look at your, you know, you, know, you look at your phone and you click on it and it's from the, your bank. And your bank sending you a notification. And it says suspicious activity on a payment. And you're like, oh, no. And because, you know, your, your bank account is very important, you, you open it up and you notice. You notice 
that the suspicious activity was not, was not somebody taking money from you. In fact, there was a credit made to your account. And it says, congratulations on paying off your credit card. And you're like, oh, wah, 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 wah. There's $7,200 on that credit card. How did it get paid off? And, uh, and you look it up and you're like, man, this must be a mistake. It's on Sunday. It's probably a mistake. I'll call tomorrow. So you put your phone down. You keep listening to pastor sermon. It's very theological. It's very deep, kind of boring. And so you got to focus. <laughs> and you get another buzz. Second buzz. You look at the phone. You click on it. And it says, it's from the bank again. And, and, they, and the notification. And, and now it's a second notification. It says, congratulations on paying off your new car. Say, hold on, hold on, what? What happened here? You put it down and you're thinking about it. Before you know it, you pick it up again and there's another notification. Congratulations on paying off your mortgage. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. And then all of a sudden, while you're looking at another notification, congratulations on paying off your student loan. Now you knew it was gonna take you two years to pay off that credit card, five years to pay off the car, 30 years to pay off the house, and 190 years to pay off your student loan. And you're thinking to yourself, what is happening here? And you realize, you know, some kind of an error, some kind of a mistake. There's no way that this is actually happening. So you wait till Monday when the bank actually opens. You call the bank and you say, hey, what's going on? I need to talk to somebody. They put you on hold. It's about seven hours. Then, they, then you get to them. And the person says to you, yeah, let me check your account. Sure enough, Mr. So-and-so, Ms. So-and-so, your accounts are completely paid for. Paid for. They're all, you, you're not in debt at all. It's all gone. Imagine having a debt so big you could never really pay for it and then finding out it's completely wiped out. That is what happened when you were adopted from the family of Adam into the family of Christ. Your sin debt was wiped out completely. Your past sin, every sin you ever committed, your present sin, the sin you did last night, this morning, and right now, and your future sin. Excuse me, sir. Before you hang up, there's, there's something I got to check. I've never seen this before. You're like, yes, I knew this was a mistake. There's no way my debts are paid for. Yeah, there's a notification here. Hold on, let me click on it. You click on it, and they click on it, and it says the word limitless. I'm sorry, sir. I'm going to have to check with my manager. I'm not even sure what this means. It says that you have limitless access uh, hold on, hold on. So you put on hold and they play the music and you're like, limitless access, what does that mean? So, you know, because the phone can do it now, you're still on the phone, you start Googling, limited access. Li what does limitless access mean? No, it's, there's nothing there, there's no record. Manager gets on, sir, can I ask you a few questions? They ask you all the information. You say, uh, yeah, so uh, this really is you, okay. Sir, according to this, our bank says you have limitless access to all the funds that our bank will ever have. How many of you would like that credit card? Can I get an amen right there? You say, well, hold on. Are you telling me all of my debt has been paid for and all that I will ever spend the rest of my life is taken care of? Apparently, sir, Bank of America really likes you. <laughs> Hear me. Apparently, sir, Christ really, truly loves you. When it says you have the forgiveness of sins, it doesn't just mean your past sins. It doesn't just mean your present sins. It means your future sins. They're all paid for. You are filthy, stupid, crazy rich with forgiveness. Amen. 
Now, some of you, some of you get really nervous. You grew up religious like I did, right? And, and you're used to going out of church feeling really guilty about something you did and you got to do something to make up for it somehow. And you're like, Pastor Josh, you got to be careful what you're insinuating. You're insinuating, Pastor Josh, that a person could go out of here and sin and they would be forgiven immediately, automatically for their sin. You can't say that. I know it's extremely dangerous theology, isn't it? It is so dangerous, this theology. It started what's called the Protestant Reformation. It's so dangerous, this theology, that Jesus was crucified for it. It's so dangerous, this theology, that the disciples of Jesus were persecuted from city to city. The followers of Jesus were persecuted from country to country all over the world. And that is this. Your forgiveness is limitless. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor, you just said this to the wrong group. Because not me, not me, Pastor, but I know some of these people around here, and you just gave them an open access credit card, quite literally, to do whatever they want, anytime they want. Here's what I've learned. Once I learned the limitless grace of Jesus Christ and the limitless amount of forgiveness he has for me, it doesn't lead me into sin. It leads me away from sin back to Christ. Once I learn how gracious and good and merciful he's been to me in my life, once I realize how much wealth I have, man, I don't ever want to live like them anymore. I want to live like Christ. What you have more than anything is you have forgiveness. Don't forget that because in a couple months we're going to be in chapter 4 and this thought will be very, very important. Number one, you are rich in forgiveness. Number two, you are rich in knowledge. Say knowledge. Any smart people here? Raise your hand if you're smart. You're like, I'm too smart for that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be trapped into that plan, right? Knowledge. You're rich with knowledge. You say, what kind of knowledge specifically? Specifically this. Those people who are in the family of Adam, listen, those people who are over here, they honestly, genuinely have no clue what's going on. Like, like about anything. Like, I'm not trying to be rude and mean. Maybe you're not in Christ today. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I love you. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome in this place. Let's be honest. You have no clue. What I mean by that is you don't know where you came from. You don't know what created you. You don't know why you were created. You don't know where you're going. You don't know why the world exists. You don't know the meaning of life. You don't know how this world is functioning. You really don't know where all of this is leading. You don't know if it's all cosmic accident. You don't really know if there's a plan about anything. Those who are in the family of Adam know, let's be, let's be real, they know nothing. They're genuinely, globally clueless. In Christ... We have knowledge. Because our God is the savior of the world and the creator of all things, he kind of tells us what's going on here. That's what he says in the next verse. Look what he says. He says in uh, chapter one and verse eight, he which made to, he, he, and he made to abound toward us that is overflowing in all wisdom and prudence or wisdom and knowledge or wisdom and understanding, depending on your translation, verse nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. One of the things God does is he makes known unto us the mystery of his plan. He makes known unto his followers what's actually going on here. Look, it goes on, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why? Because he wanted to, which he purposed in his house, in, in himself. Here is his plan, verse 10. Verse 10 is, is the plan of God. People say, what's the purpose of life? 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. But if you're not in Christ, it doesn't matter because you don't believe in Christ. So figure it out for yourself if you're in Adam. But if you're in Christ, verse 10 tells you the plan of the world. Look at verse 10. Look what it says. That in the dispensations of the fullness of time, that is, at the point when God has completed his time plan, when God has finished playing out his plan, do you believe God has a plan? In the fullness of his time, when his plan is being played out, according to the good pleasure of his will and dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. This is his plan. His whole plan at the end of time is to gather together everything in one, in himself. All humans who have ever lived, that's his plan. That's what he wants. All animal kind, all plant life, all that has been created, the entire universe. What had happened is this. Adam, God's first created man, screwed it up. And God in heaven watched him and he's like, what am I going to do? I got a plan. One of these days, I'll send my own son, the second Adam. And what the first Adam screwed up, the second Adam cleans up. Whereas he destroyed everything, the second Adam brings all things back together in unity. You say, well, it hasn't happened yet. It's because he's still in the midst of his process. We're in what's called the church age or the dispensation of grace, where God is allowing people by grace to choose. You want to follow the family of Adam or you want to follow the family of Christ? It's up to you. And for as long as God allows this time period to take place, we are trying to bring people into the idea of, of Christ. Now it goes on. Now it goes on. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure that he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, in him. This is the plan. The plan is for everybody to be here. Some will not be here, though that's God's plan, because some will choose to remain there. Now, you, because you're in Christ, have this knowledge. My favorite scene, there's a famous movie from, I don't know, 15 years ago called The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't seen it, you can watch it on Amazon Prime right now for free. It's a fantastic uh, film. Go ahead and put that up there. Um, it's a great film about Jesus and his crucifixion. By the way, if you're looking for a romanticized Hollywood view of the crucifixion, you know, where everybody is just, you know, it's all pretty and nice and Jesus died and there was a little blood. And like, if that's what you're looking for, don't watch this movie. It's not a romanticized vi vision. This is as close to what a Roman crucifixion would have looked like. This is what Jesus experienced. And he did this to die upon the cross for your sins. I, as your pastor, officially recommend this movie for you to watch. Now, now, one of my favorite scenes in the movie did not actually happen historically according to the gospel narratives. But, but there was creative license to show us more of the story of Jesus as a whole. I like this part. Jesus is carrying the cross down the Via Della Rosa, the road to Calvary, and as he's on his way, he trips and he falls. And when he does, Mary, Jesus' mother, was watching from a distance. Do you remember this part? Jesus' mother remembers the way it was to raise Jesus the little boy, and Jesus the little boy would fall, and, and now she sees her little boy as an adult man fall, and, and she's compelled to rush to him and to help him. 
help him up. And that's exactly what she does in the movie. She runs to help him up. And Jesus looks up with blood on his face and blood on his hands, dust around his brow, the crown of thorns. And he places his hand upon the mother's cheek. And he says these words, Behold, mother, I make all things new. Never happened. <laughs> okay, it never happened in that story. But I love, you say, well, then why is it your favorite scene in the movie? Because he, Jesus actually does say this line, but he doesn't say it until the end of the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 21. After Jesus Christ is done with the time period called the church age and done with the tribulation period we read about in the book of Revelation and the millennium period we read about in the book of Revelation and the major prophets, what you see is Jesus stands up before we enter the eternal kingdom of heaven and he proclaims, I make all things new. So Jesus, I love that they have Jesus quote that on the way to Calvary because that was Jesus' plan. When Jesus Christ came to die upon the cross, he was instituting his plan for his family that he would make all things new. That's the plan of God. You say, who knows what God is trying to do in the world? The answer is you. You are in Christ. You have knowledge. You are rich with understanding of what's actually happening here. Well, the rest of the world is destitute and poverty-stricken when it comes to there any clue what's happening here. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, in Christ, simply value things that those people don't value. They're like, but don't you see how many shiny minerals I have? And we're like, yeah, but we actually know what's going on in the world. Don't you see my, how much power I hold over other people? Don't you see how famous I am? And you're like, yeah, but God has forgiven me of all my sins, and when I die, I get to spend eternity with him. How about you? Amen. Here's my concern. There are so many Christians that are in Christ, and our heads are tilted toward the way of Adam, and we keep thinking, look at how much they have. What are you doing? What are you, do what are you doing, brother, sister? They got nothing over there. Nothing. They're destitute. They worship paper and minerals. They seek things that once they get it, they hate what they got. In Christ, we have all the forgiveness that we'll ever, ever need. We have all the knowledge that God has shared with us. Number three, here's the third thing you're given. You're given, here's the riches of Christ. You're given a relationship. We understand, the longer we live, that relationships are the most valuable things in our lives. Our relationship with our parents, we don't really see how beautiful it is until they're gone. The relationship with our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our relatives. The relationship that we have with God. This is something essentially that we do understand in Christ. And some people in Adam have begun to realize my relationships are extremely valuable. We would never trade our relationships with the muck the rest of the world would. Fame and power and money. What in the world would somebody ever trade a relationship for those things? In Christ, we're taught that the number one relationship that we have is our relationship with God. That's what he says in the next verse. Look at what he says. I know this is theologically deep today. I know you've come in with your thinking caps on and I appreciate it. Keep following along. Look what it says in verse 11 and 12. In Christ, in him, in who? In who? 
in Christ. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things together for the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. This is our inheritance. In him, our inheritance is a relationship with, with Christ. Here's another way to say it. Our inheritance is the Lord. Say, what did I get in here? What's the riches I have? You get Jesus. Say, that's great, right? Like, really, like, that does seem kind of, let, let me explain it this way. Um, back in the Old Testament, there was a story about a guy named Moses. You remember Moses? Moses uh, went to Pharaoh and said, let God's people go. And they, he led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. And before they crossed over into the promised land, as you see a, a, a map up here on the screen, before they pro crossed over in the promised land in Deuteronomy, Moses outlined all of the different tri 12 tribes or the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, where their land would be in the promised land. And you can see Manasseh had two large portions and Gad had a portion there. Reuben had one, Judah, Ephraim, Dan, Benjamin. They all had different portions all over the land of Israel. Now, if you'll look, you'll count them up in a quick eye and a quick count. We'll notice there are 12 different pieces of land for 12 different tribes. But the acute historian and Bible theologian will also notice that the 12 names up there are not actually the original 12 tribes of Israel. Ephraim and Manasseh are the sons of one of the sons of Jacob, and that is Joseph. There's actually a missing tribe that got no land. Does anybody, can anybody pick which missing tribe? What is it? So yell, yell it out if you know it. Levi. Levi was the, 12, was the 12th son who got no land. Now imagine, imagine Moses is standing up, promised land behind him, big, big, uh, big banner says mission accomplished, going in, you know, and they're about to go into the promised land. And as they're about to walk into the promised land, Moses says, okay, Benjamin, you guys get this tribe. And all the elders of Benjamin are like, woo. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Asher, you guys get this land and woo, everybody's excited. Naphtali, you get this land, woo, everybody's excited. And Levi's over at the end. And by the time, and you can read this in Deuteronomy, by the time they get to Levi, Moses is like, and Levi, you get, your inheritance is the Lord. You say, man, that's awesome. You imagine yourself in some kind of an inheritance meeting in an attorney's office. And they're like, Jack, you get all the boats, and, and Sally, you get the houses, and you get the cabin, and you get, the, the, you get the, the beach house, and Josh, you get the Lord. You get the Lord. I'd be like, a ripoff? I mean, I get the Lord. Everybody's got the Lord. Everybody gets the Lord. What are you talking about? And that was the Levite's inheritance. The Lord got no land, no land. The Levites became the priestly tribe of Israel. They were the priests. A priest is one who holds the hand of God, God, and holds the hand of man and brings them together. That's what the priests did. So the Levites, God said, you don't get land. You don't get Adam's family wealth. You get the Lord. Do you know what Christ says to the New Testament Christian? Christ says, you may not get those things over there. What you get is me. You get me. You are the New Testament priest. You are the priest of the Christian life. 
You are the one who has direct access to God, and your responsibility is to hold the hand of God and hold the hand of others and bring them together. This is a temporary time for you. The eternal kingdom of heaven is coming, land is coming, riches are coming. Right now, the riches you have in Christ, friend, don't you understand and don't you see it? You have limitless forgiveness. You have knowledge of what's actually going on in this world. And what you have is you have Christ, a relationship with God. I got to tell you, I would not trade a relationship with God for all the cabins and every wood in the world. I want to trade it for every dollar or every shiny piece of mineral the world has to offer. Friend, we have God. Number four, number four. Here are the riches that the Apostle Paul wants you to see as a Christian living in Ephesus or a Christian here living in Las Vegas. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Number four, the Holy Spirit. You say, what do you mean the Holy Spirit, Pastor Josh? We don't value the gift of the Holy Spirit like we should value the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you know, if I were to say to you this, if I were to say to you, hey, can I come over this week to your house? And you were like, what day? And I was like, any day I want, because I'm the pastor. And you're like, no, you got to select a day. And I'm like, are you going to have dinner? And you're like, yes, what do you want? I said steak, because yeah, I like steak. And Reese's peanut butter cups. Can I get an amen, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to come over, and you're like, I don't know. I said, don't worry, I'm going to bring Jesus. And you're like, what day do you want to come? <laughs> I'm going to bring Jesus to your house. How many of you would love it if uh, Jesus was able to visit your house. Wouldn't you love that? You're like, I gotta go home and clean. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I gotta vacuum, I gotta vacuum real quick, give me some time, and then Jesus can come in. You know, open the door, you're like, just, you know, like five minutes. Cause you know everything, you know it's bad in here, so there you go, right? <laughs> Jesus was gonna come visit your house, amazing story. But ima imagine, imagine, Jesus gonna come visit your house, visit your room, hang out with you, just you and him, Jesus time, right? I'm gonna wait in the back, right? Just give me a Diet Coke and I'll be fine. You and Jesus, now, look, Jesus is not going to come visit your house. Do you know why? Because Jesus said this to his disciples in the upper room the night he was betrayed, the day before they killed him. Jesus looked his disciples in the eye and said, I got to go away. I got to go. Where are you going, Lord? Where, where are you going? How can we know the way? Don't worry. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. We'll all be together in the big family house. Don't worry. Why are you going away? This is what he said. If I don't go away, I won't be able to send him to you. Who's him? The Holy Spirit. Do you know why it's preferable for the church to have the Holy Spirit than, than Jesus? Some of, you, some of you are really worried about, you said the church doesn't need Jesus. Jesus already did his thing, folks. By the way, you say, that's blasphemous. That's because you don't know theology. Jesus died upon the cross, paid for your sins, buried, rose from the grave, sits on the right hand of God. He's your advocate. But right now, what the church needs is the Holy Spirit of God. Here's why. Because Jesus can only go to somebody's house one person at a time. The Holy Spirit of God can be in this church and in the church around the corner and the church down the street and the church around the world. Jesus Christ can go home with you at lunch and you at lunch and you at lunch and around with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Holy Spirit of God is the permanent residence of God in you and with you all of the time. He's yours. And that's what he goes on to say. This is extreme wealth, something these people can never understand. Look at what it says. It goes on, verse 13 and 14. In him, in who? In who? In Christ. In Christ, you, are, uh, you have also trusted, after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Stop. Stop. 
stop. I have to pause here because the apostle explains something to the believers in Ephesus that some people in this room may not know. And, and the reason I have to stop is because in our church in Las Vegas, there are often people that come visit who are not yet in Christ. They're still in Adam. They've never believed in Jesus Christ. That's okay, you're welcome here, we're glad you're here, but you're more like a seeker, right? You go to church and you're learning things and you study and you're like, this is kind of interesting because my friend's involved, but I don't really know it. Okay, here's what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying Christians were all in the family of Adam, as I've mentioned before. You're born in the family of Adam. You are born that way. Now, the Bible says, after you have heard the word of truth, you trusted in Christ. This is how somebody becomes a Christian, a true person in Christ. After you hear the word of truth, what's the word of truth? The word of truth is that you and I are all sinners. We disobey God. Remember last week I talked about the little window and the BB gun and it broke a part of the window and the whole thing? We all have done that. How many of you have done more than one bad thing in your life? Would you raise your hand? How many? Okay, some of us have, all right? The Bible says we're all sinners. Here's the word of truth. But God loves you anyway. But because you're in the family of Adam, you're going to die and get buried and go to hell. That's what happens with Adam and his family. Now, what do you do to be saved? God, in human form, Jesus Christ, came and he paid for your sins by dying upon the cross, shedding his blood. He adopts Christians into the family. After you heard the word of truth, you also trusted in him. Trusted what? The gospel of your salvation. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved. For those in this room who are still over here, listen to me, listen to me. Listen, look at me. I've got no gold to promise you. In fact, if you want gold, stay in this family. This is what bothers me so much about people who call themselves pastors who bastardize the Christian faith by promising those in Christ, they promise them the wealth of Adam. We don't get the wealth of Adam. We don't want the wealth of Adam. Here's what you get. You can stay here and get gold and silver. You can get all sorts of land. You can get all sorts, whatever you want, you can be here. But maybe you're over here and you're like, I kind of see the value of the wealth over there. Maybe I want forgiveness from God. Maybe I want a relationship with God. Maybe I need the Holy Spirit in my life. Maybe what I need is actually to understand what's going on in my life and the world around me and understand relationships. Okay, then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You'll be adopted into a new family. That's what this is about. It's not believe in Jesus and all of your wildest Adam dreams will come true. Believe in Christ and you'll see the world differently than you've ever seen it before. So it goes on. The gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed, you were sealed. Now, those of us who have believed in Christ, you were, this is hugely important, you were now sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed, protected protected. Anybody have um, a saran wrap in your home? You make a dish and you, you make, how many of you ever make a salad and you're like, man, that salad was good, but we didn't finish it. So we're going to put the seal on it. You put it in the fridge and you're like, it's going to last for like 20 minutes before it goes bad. <laughs> it drives me nuts, right? What if you had a divine seal that could seal something and the moment it's sealed, it'll never go bad. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, listen to me, when you get saved, seals your soul for eternity. You're saved. You're saved. I'm going to address something here, and I don't want you to be offended. Some of you grew up in a Christian faith, like I did, 
where you were taught, God loves you, kinda. I mean, he really kinda does. But if you screw up after becoming in Christ, he's gonna ship you back over there. Like, it's like, a, it's like some orphan getting adopted into a new family and they're like, welcome, but if you mess up, it's the orphanage for you. That's the way you view God. And so in your worldview, anytime you mess up, I might lose my salvation any moment, any moment. I just better keep right with God because I'm in Christ and I'm scared to death in over here. What are, you, what are you talking about? You're in Christ. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you. You're secure. It means eternal security. The moment you got saved, you're saved. You can't lose your salvation. It's a gift from God. Amen. This is really super good news. It goes on to explain this concept even deeper throughout Ephesians, but even the rest of the verse. It says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? He guarantees your inheritance. What inheritance? All the riches of Christ for eternity. He guarantees it. How many of you have, uh, understand the guarantee, right? Right, you see some, some commercial and the guy's like, buy a suit from me, I guarantee it. Well, they, you know, who knows, maybe. They're just humans. In Christ, they lie. Christ, in Adam, they lie. Christ never lies. Your salvation is secure. Anybody in your Bible, go ahead and read. You see your Bible, that verse? What verse is this, 14? Does anybody's verse read, he is our earnest? Anybody have the word earnest? Some of you have the word earnest. I like that translation. It's an old word in the English, but we still use it today. Anybody here ever buy a home before and have to put down earnest money? What is earnest money? Earnest money is the first installment of all of your payments. Here's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. He is the first installment of all of the riches that God wants to give you. The moment you got saved, he gave you the Holy Spirit who secures your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. No matter what. So I'm over here in the family of Christ and I'm like, I'm cool. Occasionally, do I look over and I think, man, you know, what do they got over there? Yeah, I do, just like you do. Until I listen from the words of the mouth of those who are there, like John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller was the world's first billionaire, the world's first billionaire. He once said, it's wrong to assume that men of immense wealth are always happy. You know why he said that? as the first billionaire. Did you know John D. Rockefeller? He used to sleep with two to three guards at his bedroom door every night. Scared to death somebody was gonna come in and take his life and take his wealth. That's miserable. Did you know for years of his life, for years, he could only eat milk and crackers for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Because he could not digest food. He said he was so consumed with how he was gonna lose the wealth that he had gained. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? You know what's even sadder? People over here looking over there saying, wow, look what they got. Yeah. They got Jack. <laughs> it's like the Israelites freed out of Egypt and they're like, man, don't you remember the leeks and the garlic and the onions back in that? We were slaves, it was awesome. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? See, I don't know John Rockefeller. How about this guy, Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey said this, he said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of. So they will know that it's not the answer. Right. 
It's fine. Look, look, it's fine. Maybe I'm the crazy guy. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're over there and you're like, I'm going to try it over there. Good luck, but I'm worried for your eternal soul. Because over there comes with condemnation for eternity. Maybe you're over here and you keep spending your life looking over there. Power, wealth, <laughs> fame. You're going to end up very sad. And you don't even realize how rich you already are. So, today, I just wanted to tell you, you are crazy rich Christians. You just have to see what your wealth actually is. Now, next week. Why don't we all know this? Well, we're going to pick up in verse 15 next week, all the way through verse 23, the rest of the chapter. It's the final sermon in the series. And next week's sermon is summed up with this picture. Next week's sermon is entitled, Head in the Sand. <laughs> it's because, honestly, this is the way most Christians like to live as it relates to their wealth. Head in the sand. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for letting us come together as friends to study your word, to worship your name, to pray. I don't know all the needs that are in the room, but I do know that all of our deepest needs have been met in Christ. I pray that we would continue to study these truths and stop looking over to the family of Adam. I pray if there's a friend in the room who is still in the family of Adam, condemned in their own sin, that they would repent of that sin and receive you as Savior, even today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.